Hi, everyone. Today I have a fantastic guest, Winter, and I will let Winter to introduce herself. Hi, I'm Winter Wheeler. I am a mediator, arbitrator, and attorney. I am located in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I've been a lawyer for about 15 years and a full-time mediator for uh, a year and a half now. Um, mediation is absolutely my passion. It's I, it's what I eat, sleep, breathe. It is my entire life. Um, <laughs> I'm the host of a podcast called The Mediate Now. We talk about mediation and how mediation is involved in every aspect of our lives. I'm bringing mediation to the masses. Oh, I love that. Um, so tell me, how does one develop a passion for mediation? How did, how did you become so passionate about it? You know, it, it just is a natural thing for me. Um, I've always been a very empathetic, sympathetic person, very in touch with my own feelings extremely in touch with the feelings of others. And when I became a, an attorney, I was a litigator, um, I realized how much I loved my mediation days and realized that the reason I loved it is because I was helping people. I was helping people resolve issues, resolve problems, come to terms with things that were going on in their lives and, and to bring them to a close. And that brought me a lot of joy and I realized pretty early in my into my career, maybe maybe a year or so, that being the mediator is where I really wanted to be. So you mentioned that you had life as a litigator before you became a mediator. I had a life as a litigator. <laughs> and, I, and I took a different turn. I, I, I love when people take turns. It's, it, it's really exciting. So Compare and contrast this litigation experience and mediation experience. I haven't really done much of mediation and certainly have not dedicated my life to it. So I would love to understand how that how that turn worked out and how it compares. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when when you're a litigator, and I was a fierce litigator, I was I was all in. <laughs> Are there any other kind? <laughs> probably not. Probably not. I think we I think all litigators are pretty fierce. But when I went in for my client, I went in. I was all in for them and and fought with everything that I had. Um, and to a certain extent, you know, I mean, I was very well aware of the other side and what they needed, what they wanted, what the, the you know, what the veracity of the claims that they had were. Um, but I didn't let that stop me. I pushed for my client, you know, to to the extent that the that the law allowed. Um, and so being an advocate is just it's so different. There's a lot of passion there that is very competitive in spirit. Right. Being the mediator, I'm equally as passionate, but I'm I'm passionate for both sides. I see. I hear. I understand both sides. Everyone gets to talk to me and, and and I get to feel the passion that they have, you know, as well for the issues. And I just work to get everybody onto the same page. And so I get to, you know, bring more people together, help more lives. The passion for both sides. I love that. Um, I, that, that is a note to self. Um, I love that. <laughs> I, I, I haven't thought about passion that way. Um, that's a very interesting way of thinking about passion. And 
And is there a way, um, you know, a constructive way uh, you develop the intentional way to develop the passion for both sides? You know, honestly, I came upon it very naturally. And it's really just my love of people, my appreciation for people and how they feel and, and genuinely wanting to help them. So I really want to dig in and see where they're coming from. Because when you're dealing with a lawsuit, you know, people are dug in on their sides and there's always a reason. Um, and those reasons clash for the most part. But when you can help them see the other side and where maybe they've dug in a little bit too hard, then that's where the magic happens. So I follow you on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm I guess I'm your groupie. Uh, I self Likewise. <laughs> <laughs> so here, from one groupie to another. I, I know you talk about your methodology of, of four corner correspondence and mediation. Tell yes. us what it is. So the four cornerstones, just in general, they are emotional intelligence, cultural knowledge, cultural immersion, and genuine empathy. And I use those four pieces in every interaction. Um, and that's how you understand where someone is coming from. And it is rooted in helping any individual that you come across identify their own feelings because typically people don't know how they feel and they certainly don't know what to do about those feelings. Very interesting. Um, I, yesterday <laughs> I was teaching a class and I was talking about self-aware cars. Um, and then that's something that's going to be, we're going to be seeing in the future. What I meant by that is a car that knows that, it, for example, being in an accident, uh, and knows the damage and all of that. But the, and, and then I said, you know, we're funny we talk about self-aware car, very few people are self-aware. Because <laughs> <laughs> we exactly. talk about self-aware car, but people themselves aren't. And that, so this is, um, so I'm gonna come back to your point after cars. <laughs> you talk about being self-aware. How do you do this effectively or how do you help people to be self-aware effectively? That's the emotional intelligence piece. So emotional intelligence really focuses on what you know about yourself and how in tune you are with your own emotions. Can you regulate your own emotions? Do you understand how your emotions affect your interactions with other people? Um, do you allow your emotions to guide the way in which you interact with other people? And it's a very complicated process, but for many people like myself, it happens pretty simply, it happens naturally, but for a lot of other people, they really need to stop and take stock in um, what their emotional state is at any given time. Because we, you know, as kids, we're not really taught to think about the totality of our emotions. And what I like about your methodology and I guess your uh, philosophy is that to you, mediation is not a thing you do, you know, to deal with a conflict or a lawsuit. It's, it's a lifestyle. Um, and exactly. you really talk about something that you, you teach in mass to use as a skill every day. Um, so I'm going to ask you, how do you do that? So the way that I use it, right? So 
I I naturally have personally that emotional intelligence. So you you have to start with identifying your feelings. If I'm teaching someone that, they have to sit down and figure out how they feel, um, which is often very complicated. But then we have the notion of cultural knowledge, right? We all have a lens through which we see the world, which is based on our our own culture, our upbringing. But you have to acknowledge the fact that other people were raised differently. They have cultural differences. And so if you're dealing with someone who has very low emotional intelligence, maybe none at all, or has never thought about any of this, they're not thinking about the cultural knowledge they have um, for of themselves and certainly not of you. So you need to meet them where they are and develop the cultural knowledge that you need to talk to them. Then we have the concept of cultural immersion, right? So that's becoming deeply involved in a culture. And so for me, what that looks like is um, learning about the cultures that I typically interact with in my in my region, right? Um, and so that runs the gamut. It's outside. It's outside the scope of what we're talking about. And then you know, genuine empathy is really caring. People can tell the difference between you actually caring about how they feel and if you're faking it, which yeah. is a, a bit of a controversial topic, but you know. No, I, th I think <laughs> you know how something makes you feel. You may or may not be able to articulate it. Yes. You may or may not be, uh, you know, able to even act on it, but you know, and you know for years how something or someone made you feel. Um, so, uh, and, and we, we call it often a gut knowledge, but we know part of teaching is also actually living it. And I would be curious to know the, those, uh, you know, four cornerstone of med mediation that you teach, how do you, how do you make sure that you live those in your daily life? Well, I take stock of how I'm feeling absolutely every day. I check in with my therapist every week and I make sure that any bias that I have is known to me that I'm working on eliminating it and I'm peaceful within my person, right? And then I also focus on learning about other cultures and, and that is book knowledge for the most part, you know, learning how different cultures view certain things, um, what's appropriate and what's not for them. And then I try to be around the people that I serve. So if I serve a largely Filipino community, I will go into the Filipino community and attempt to acclimate myself, do my best to observe and learn um, and actually watch in action what I have learned. And then with that, comes a natural sense of caring about how they feel and what happens with them. So you have that natural empathy that comes from just someone being another human, but then also tying in the rest, making sure you are cognizant and respectful of their culture. So I'm actually gonna follow up on something. You mentioned your therapist. Thank you for being open about this. Uh, we know that uh, in law sometimes being strong uh, doesn't allow a room to admit for need of self-care, um, mm -hmm. especially something like uh, having a therapist. 
Um, and that could be very much a cultural issue and it could be also a legal issue, right? So people yes. come with a lot of baggage uh, to the idea of having therapists. Um, if you feel comfortable, I would love for you to uh, share how you made the decision uh, to do it and why you stuck uh, having regular conversation with, with, with this therapist. You know, I had seen a therapist occasionally, you know, off and on um, most of my adult life. Um, it was just a way of managing stress. We know how stressful it is to be an attorney. Um, and I, I was suffering with um, severe anxiety and for a long time didn't know it. So I had a therapist suggest to me that I also see a psychiatrist and get medication for that. Um, because apparently it was a chemical issue as well, which I struggled with. I really struggled with. So the last job that I had, it was so overwhelming. I just had my fourth child. I was miserable. I was working nonstop, not really seeing my family. And I thought to myself, I can't be the only one struggling like this. I've always been a very high achiever. So this is, this is odd for me. And, 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 and we have four children, okay? I and do. Being, being overwhelmed is kind of makes, I'm just saying, I have It's two, expected. Yeah, I have two and lots of help and overwhelm is a normal thing. But yes, please yeah. go on. <laughs> right, and, and at that time in my life, I didn't have a lot of help. My husband and I have always been very weird about nannies. We have just now gotten to the point where we are ready to have a, a full-time nanny. The children are, are older at this point, but... Um, I realized after talking to some of my, my colleagues, I finally, you know, I was like, I can't do this. And so instead of just quitting my job because I'm overworked, let me talk to people. How are they feeling? And we all said about the same thing. And, um, they all admitted that they were seeing therapists and psychiatrists and they were on this medication and that medication. And I was like, okay, well, I don't really like that. <laughs> but if it's what I need to do to get myself level, then I'm willing to do that. So I went, I saw a psychiatrist um, was diagnosed with the severe anxiety. Um, and we dealt with that with medication for a while until I was able to change my circumstances um, and I'm not completely off of the medication, but I don't take anything daily anymore. Um, cause my anxiety was also coupled with, um, panic attacks. So had to deal with that. Litigators can't have panic attacks. <laughs> no, no. Uh, look, I, um, I appreciate your sharing. Um, I think this is an important conversation. It's a public service announcement, uh, especially yeah. because, you know, you, you are so out there and, and you have such a, um, you know, large presence and a lot of people admire you and that's the oh. side that they may or may not see. And I, I know, I, I think it's very important for folks to know you can be a litigator, you can be a mother of four, you may have anxiety, you may work through that, that may require professional help, you, that mm -hmm. may even require drugs, it may require uh, therapists uh, for the rest of your professional or adult life. Um, and all of those things are okay. It's okay to take care of yourself um right. <laughs> there, there is no weakness no one thinks of winter as a as a weak mediator or a, a weak litigator or a weak attorney or professional in right. fact by sharing i i hope um it, it's very clear you can be very strong have presence have thought leadership and still take care of yourself and it's completely okay absolutely 
Absolutely. And, and that is the reason that I talk about it so much. You know, I think, it, unfortunately, I have lost several friends um, in this profession to alcoholism, depression, um, things that they could have worked on, but were ashamed to. And I, I was not going to fall into that. And no one around me, if I can help it, is going to fall into that either. So for me, part of part of my purpose in life is to break down that stigma. You know, being empathetic means accepting people and accepting that whole person. And so however you show up, whatever you need, that's the help that we need to make sure you get. If you need a therapist, get one. Therapists are really fun because like my husband doesn't like to talk to me that often about like feelings and whatnot. My therapist does. <laughs> um, right. no, there, that, that's, you know, I was finding that funny, very serious business. Self-care is, is important. So definitely do that. And I'm glad that people like Winter normalize that and, and talk about open. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, I, I want to come back a little bit to the uh, four course uh, of, of, yeah. of uh, methodology, um, you know, applying to daily life, applying in your professional life. We talked about children. <laughs> um, yes. I, everyone knows that I am, um, I'm, uh, you know, an A-plus lawyer and a struggling mother. So, <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about, let's talk about, um, let's talk about whether you can apply that uh, methodology to children. Absolutely. Absolutely. I do it all the time. Um, I deal with my children, my friends, my family, everybody with this methodology, through this methodology. Now, luckily enough, I'm very well aware of the, the children's culture, so I'm not learning about that as we go through. But what, what it looks like for my kids is just listening. So they may have done something that they know they shouldn't have done. And it's getting to why they did that thing, right? Um, and so if, I'll give you um, a, a real world example. My seven-year-old has ADHD. It manifests in different ways, right? As he gets a little bit older. And so I'll be asking him a question after he's done something he should not have done and that I know he knows he shouldn't have done. And I'll ask him, why have you done this? Like, what are you thinking? Why would you do this? And he won't respond to me. You know, I'll get dead silence. <laughs> and which infuriates me in the moment. And I have to remove myself. I send him to his room where we reconvene. And after this happening, maybe five times, he finally was able to say, after I sat down with him and said, mommy really wants to know how to help you. What do I need to do? What is it? What is going on? Why are you not talking to me? Tell me how I can help you. Mommy wants to make life better, right? He said, sometimes I just am so upset that I can't talk and I can't respond to you and I don't mean to be rude or disrespectful. I just can't do it. And so that led to a conversation with a psychologist about how I can help him calm down. It was a lot of me realizing why I was upset with what he was doing. Why did it, why did it make me upset that he's doing this thing? He wasn't hurting me or any, anyone else. 
but I didn't like it. It was against the rules. And then I stopped to ask him, genuinely ask him, wanting to know, why is this happening and how can I help you? And he could tell that mommy really meant it. And he was able to calm down and open up and really tell me his little seven-year-old body just could not get the words out. That's it. And so the result was when he does something that he's not supposed to do, he is just simply removed. We just remove him. We let him calm down. And then he comes back and he can tell me what happened. I love it. And I love all of those examples. I love the, the powerful examples, of, you know, from the seven-year-old to, to self, right? Um, that, yeah. that, and beyond in a professional setting. To round the conversation, tell, 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 tell me how you came to this methodology. And I know you're very passionate about evangelizing it, but uh, tell me how, how that has been discovered. Well, it was really over the course of mediating and interacting with people in that context. So doing the training to be a mediator, having been an advocate, it did not prepare me fully for what it really looks like to help people through the mediation process. And what I noticed is that a lot of attorneys were very disconnected from their clients. And that a lot of things that were being said, perhaps by my Hispanic clients, my Asian American clients, those things were being misinterpreted by their attorneys who were of um, different ethnicities and races. And I could see the distinction because I have spent a very long time, <laughs> probably the majority of my life, engaged in, in learning about other cultures and international relations, et cetera. And so I realized the attorneys had no idea. They were well-meaning. They didn't know what they were doing. And then the clients couldn't really express themselves or felt uncomfortable saying, you don't understand what I'm saying because you don't understand my culture, right? And so I took a step back and I, I took two days, two days to figure out what I was doing to get these cases resolved because I was having very you know, I was having good success getting these cases resolved, bringing these people together. How was I doing that? And ultimately, it turned into this list of four items. Um, I love it. And uh, I love the four items. And I love the passion around sharing it and applying it in your life and, and helping others to use it in their lives that may or may not, hopefully may not involve litigation <laughs> or, or conflict. Right. Um, I want to shift gears just a little because you and I have... Uh, passion for public speaking, um, and we both shared the experience of having done a TEDx talk, which was very pivotal in my career. Uh, yes. It was sort of a marathon to train for, and I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the process and, and subsequent um, experience that's, that's followed. Tell me, tell me how, why, and how you decided to do a TEDx, and what was your first TEDx? Uh, what did you talk about? Well, my first TEDx is called Mastering the Art of the Uncomfortable Conversation. And it discusses in, in more depth than we have time for now, the four cornerstones of mediation and why they're important and how they are crucial and how we can each implement them into our lives. And it was important to me to do it because I genuinely believe in this process. I have seen it work 
miracles in my own life. And and back to my therapist again, I swear that woman, like, I think she she's going to have to start paying me like advertising fees. Um, <laughs> for normalizing the therapist conversation. I actually really appreciate it. Um, yes, definitely. Everyone I talk to, many people I talk to, have one or consider having one, but they almost never talk about it. So thank you for, for talking about it. And please oh, of course. Yes. So, you know, I was telling her about an argument that I had with my husband. I told her that I just, you know, while he's all upset about whatever it was, I can't even remember now. It wasn't that important. I just stopped talking and I just started listening to him, like actively listening which is something that's very easy for me to do at work, but not necessarily <laughs> at home. Um, but I tried it and my husband managed to work the problem out on his own without me doing much speaking. And um, my, so my therapist said, oh, so you treated him like you treat your, your mediation clients. <laughs> And this light bulb went off and I was like, client, all right. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I absolutely did. I was like, this, this is brilliant. And that's what set me off on the path to sit down and spend those two days figuring out what I was doing, what I was doing right and, and turn it into this methodology. I love that. So how was it? How, how was the experience of, a, of, a, of, of preparing and, and, and doing the TEDx? What, what, what is, I guess, what is the best part? Oh my gosh. The best part is, the delivery, like the that live delivery. And you know, I, I did my first one during the pandemic. So it was virtual, um, which was like exceptionally nerve wracking because I'm worried about like the internet connection and what's going on and all of that. Um, but everything went amazingly well. Um, it got up onto the TED website within two, three days, which was unbelievable. My views are approaching 30,000, it's amazing. Um, so the process was just like, I think what was really great for me was to really dive into my topic, which was the four cornerstones and to you know really bring it down to basic level so that everyone who listens to it can understand. You don't have to be like, you know, a diversity and inclusion kind of expert or a mediator or a lawyer or anything to understand it. You just need to be a person. You just, in the end of the day, <laughs> you just have to be a person. You just have to That's show it. up as yourself and, and, and be a person, a normal, relatable self. I love this. Uh, just show up actually takes you pretty far. It took me pretty far too. So It I, really I, does. I'm a real huge advocate for, for us showing up. Uh, we're coming to the end. I have a few more questions. One is that, like, what is what does success look at in the end? I want the entire world to view mediation differently than we do now. I want mediation to be more than a means to settlement. I want it to be a means of bridging the gaps between people, building relationships between people in their everyday lives, having better interactions with the sales clerk, with the person in line in front of you. I want people to have better family relationships. There are ways that we can communicate where we just end up having a closer, 
relationship. Whether we agree or not, disagree, agree, whatever, it doesn't matter. But we can have closer relationships when we foster that respect. And we can build respect by having respect for ourselves with the emotional intelligence, recognizing our own boundaries and what we need and how we project into the world and having that same respect and understanding for the different ways other people feel about themselves and also project that into the world. Oh, I love that. You know, I just shared with you right before this episode, um, at some point I, uh, I had a tour of a local prison and, uh, and the condition I was talking to a guard and asked him, what is the secret for sort of peaceful prison that, um, you know, safe? Uh, and he talked about a lot about how he has conversation with inmates and guards around, you know, the fact that you don't have to like somebody to respect that person. If you respect Absolutely. someone, you can go pretty far in life. And the like does not have to attach to that. And separating the respect from the like um, mm -hmm. is a very important skill. And 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 that very much resonated with me. And uh, and I guess I've I've applied the, this principle. Uh, from a prison guard uh, <laughs> in my daily life ever since. Yeah. And it works. You don't have to like someone to respect them. And in the Absolutely end, not. that's a big, that makes a huge, huge difference. I'm going to ask you for one thing to leave the listeners, the viewers with. Take the time to figure out yourself and whatever that looks like for you. If it's a therapist, a psychiatrist, if it's meditation, if it's long walks in the park, whatever it is, come to terms with who you are. If you're hearing the same type of negative feedback from people over and over again, really stop and listen. You don't have to agree with them. But kind of, you know, stop and think about what is it that I might be doing that's giving that impression. You know, like you said, like you said, Olga, you don't have to agree, but you, you do need to have some respect. And so if you're hearing the same thing over and over again, you know, try to see if you can get to what is causing people to feel that way about you. Winter, thank you so much. I, I had a fantastic conversation with you. I always learn something from you. Uh, so thank oh. you. Thank you so much. Bye, everyone.